Welcome to the SCG Church Podcast. We'd love to have you join us for our weekend services in person in our West Auditorium. You can also tune into our service live online at scgchurch.org or live on our Facebook and YouTube pages. Thanks for listening. So we're going to uh, end our uh, Colossians series and uh, start uh, the kind of the Holy Week with a uh, talk about Palm Sunday. And, uh, and Palm Sunday, if you don't know what Palm Sunday is, it's uh, when Jesus, after his earthly ministry, made his way to Jerusalem uh, and, um, and people recognized him. Um, for who he was saying that he was. And in that process, they began to sing and shout and, and throw uh, palm branches down and coats on the ground. And all of this happened to fulfill an Old Testament um, prophecy. And there's something about, uh, we know what Easter happened on Easter, the resurrection. We know what happened on Good Friday, uh, um, the, uh, the cross and what that provided for us. We may not fully understand what Palm Sunday was really about, what the triumphal entry, as it's called, uh, was really about. And uh, so today I want to help us understand that and make some application of what it could mean for us. And, um, and so a couple of background things you need to know. Uh, Jesus had... Um, uh, had been doing ministry for a while, uh, and he and he had even done some miracles uh, on uh, uh, right in the vicinity there. So there's the Mount of Olives. If you ever go to Israel with us, we go every couple of years, and and if you ever get a chance to do that, I encourage you. It's one of my favorite trips ever, and I really love being in Israel. And um, and you go down the uh, the uh, Mount of Olives. Uh, I think it's the Kidron Valley, if I remember right, and up and there's the city right there. And so we usually spend some time um, in a garden, which would be similar to. The Garden of Gethsemane, and you can look right across, and you can see the gate. Now, it's now walled up, but you can see where the gate was that he would have entered in. And uh, yeah, it's just a really powerful experience. Uh, we need to know about uh, what happened. It was probably at Passover uh, during a, a feast or festival time. Passover is... Um, is when the Jews would come from all over Israel to Jerusalem. They would, they would. There's even Psalms that we uh, on our trips that we read, uh, Psalms of ascent as they move toward uh, Jerusalem. They go up to Jerusalem, and uh, and they would come in. And so uh, estimates suggest that Jerusalem maybe had forty thousand inhabitants there or thereabouts. Uh, but at uh, at Passover time, it would swell to maybe 200,000 people. So all of these Jews coming from all over Israel would come in, and uh, and it would just be an air of excitement and and all kinds of uh, energy going on there. And uh, in in this context of this this thing, they they would remember and they would anticipate. They would remember how God um, uh, brought them out of Egypt, delivered them from Egypt. And how someday the Messiah would deliver them from under the oppression of the Romans or whoever it might be. And so they, they remembered and they anticipated. And it's at, at this occasion we think that Jesus made his way in because he was the, the hope for Messiah, even though most didn't recognize it. He, it was the appropriate time. And so during Passover, they would sacrifice lots of lambs to, for the forgiveness of their sin. And he would come as the ultimate sacrifice, forgiveness of everybody's sin. So... Um, there's a lot of excitement. People are, are all fired up. And here comes this, this rabbi from Galilee, uh, this teacher, this miracle worker. Some said a prophet. Um, others thought maybe he was a Messiah or the Messiah. And so uh, that's the context. So I'd like you to stand today because they were excited. I'd like you to be a little more excited than just sitting there. And I'm going to have you stand while I read uh, this passage and we'll pray. 
Uh, it's found in, in Matthew 21, uh, starting in the verse uh, 1. Uh, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage in the, in the Mount of Olives, on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. <coughs> Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. Very large crowds spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? Let's pray. Lord God, we, today we still need to ask, who is this? We need to have a full and, and a correct understanding of who you are. Lord, we live in a world that wants to make their own truth, where my truth might even be in contradiction to somebody else's truth, and we still think they're both true. But Lord, you were who you said you were. You were exactly who you came to to expose yourself to be on uh, that triumphal entry. And today, we need to understand that. And in so doing, Lord, we need to live our lives differently. And so as we begin to prepare our hearts for this holy week, where we remember all that you have done for us, and we humble ourselves, and we repent of all that we have done wrong, and we accept your forgiveness, and with gratitude, we remember, Lord, let us understand more fully who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You may be seated. Around here, we say a lot that Jesus changes everything. And uh, oftentimes, I think we say that because we have experienced that. I think our first kind of mode of uh, operation about that is that I've experienced change in my life. And so many people are sitting around, if you haven't yourself, other people around you certainly have experienced significant life change because Jesus entered into your life. Some of you have overcome addiction. Some of you have restored marriages. Some of you have found new callings in life. All of us who have believe me, Jesus have received forgiveness. And so, yes, Jesus changes everything. But we uh, may not understand more fully how he changed it, kind of the mechanisms and, and, the, and the proof that he intended to change it from the very beginning. We know theologically that he came to change things, and, and, uh, and we understand that about Easter. We know what Easter is about. Easter is, a, is, is about the resurrection and that we have hope over even death itself and forever in heaven. Uh, Good Friday is, is the day we remember that there was a terrible price paid so that all of us could have forgiveness and be reconciled to our Creator. But we don't always understand what, um, what Palm Sunday is about or the triumphal entry. And so today I want us to understand that because in understanding that, we find one of the keys to Jesus changing not just a little bit of us or part of us or some of us, but all of us. If we can come to grips with what he was saying, he came to make a statement and it wasn't, so we oftentimes think about Palm Sunday as being kind of an aw shucks. Here's Jesus making his way to the Jerusalem and everybody gathers around and goes, oh, we're going to throw palm, we're going to sing. And he's like, oh, come on guys, okay. It wasn't one of those at all. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly what he intended to do. He did it exactly the way he wanted to do it and because he was making a statement about who he was. One that you and I need to, along with in verse 10 there, ask, who is this? Uh, Jesus came. That's a powerful thing. 
We know that Jesus changed everything because he came. He came as a baby. We call that Christmas. We celebrate that, that he came as Christmas and he came. But there is some predictions about Jesus arriving, not only as a baby, but who he was. And we oftentimes love to talk about Jesus as Savior, and that's a powerful thing. We'll talk about that significantly or extensively on Friday. Um, but there are some other indications of who Jesus is going to be. One that we lose a title and a function that we talk about less often. Let me, Isaiah 9, 6 is a prediction of Jesus coming to the earth or, uh, as a baby. And here's what it says. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And here's a, here's a key, uh, a little hint. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign, key word, he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. There is a function, there is a role that Christ was announcing at the triumphal entry that you and I, I think, need to revisit and maybe take a little more seriously. He came as a baby. And then we find in this passage a, a quote. He says, say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you riding on a colt, the foal of a donkey. See your king comes to you. The announcement he wanted to make was that he is king. We love talking about Jesus the Savior because he forgives us, Jesus the healer, Jesus the teacher. But Jesus came as king. And the announcement on the triumphal entry was fully intentional about his kingship, that he came to be king. Some of the people in attendance believed he was going to be king, but they believed he was going to be a geopolitical kingdom. He was going to overthrow the Romans and, and you know, be a king over Israel itself. But he came for a greater kingdom, a longer kingdom. What would happen in Israel? Uh, you know, Israel would have backslidden just like they always did, and there would have been this temporary thing. He, he had a much bigger plan. He came to be king over all, everyone for all time. And it says an interesting thing. It says, your king comes to you. And so this is written way before Jesus. Um, it is cited here again as Matthew tells the story. It's, see, your king comes to you. Present continuous tense. Means he not only came as a baby, but he comes to you now, and he comes to us now. The king always comes to us. The king is always coming to us for something for recognition of his kingship, for all of the other things he wants to do in our life. But so the king came and the king comes and he will come again. And so scripture teaches us not only that he uh, come to Jerusalem and he even wept over this city because he knew there were those who would not listen, but he's coming back again. And when he comes back, he will not come in the humility of one riding a donkey. He will come on a great white war horse to divide good from evil, to make what has been wrong right, to take those who have not come to accept his kingship and to separate them forever and to embrace those who have accepted him and to live with them forever in a new heaven and a new earth. Now, this is an interesting concept. I grew up hearing about this all the time. There's a whole lot of apocalyptic kind of stuff back in the 70s and before. And there's Vietnam, and we all thought the world was ending in nuclear war and all this kind of stuff. There's a lot of talk. A lot of people studied Revelation a lot. I have seen many, many charts, by the way. I know lots of charts. Um, the United States doesn't appear on most of them. 
Sorry to say that. We don't seem to be a world player in this deal. I don't know. And if you don't know what Revelation is, by the way, it is about the end of the world. John had this vision of how the world would end and how God would wipe out evil once and for all. And, uh, and by the way, I still believe the uh, bear is Russia, in case you're wondering, in case you're into that stuff. Uh, but I don't really understand most of it, to be honest with you. Here's what is interesting, though. It says, Revelation says, that Christ will come again. And, and it will come to permanently ban evil and the evil ones. And he will, he will uh, bring a new heaven and a new earth. And because many in my generation, my dad's generation, loved, my dad was a pastor, loved talking about this stuff. They studied it all the time. Because many of my generation aren't very bright. No, just me. Um, we don't necessarily understand. And we saw so many kinds of predictions that didn't, whatever. We have not talked about it very much. But I've had an interesting thing recently. I've been talking to people in general, and specifically pastors from different locations around the United States. And just apart from each other, as an aside, several have said to me, you know, I don't know. I think maybe the Lord's coming back. Now, see, what we're supposed to believe as Christians, you may not understand this, we're supposed to believe in the imminent return of Christ. In other words, he could come back at any time. The Bible says nobody will know the hour. That's why it's hard to make charts because we don't actually know when he's coming back. But we all know that the earth will end. It just tells us how and why. And we are to live every day as if it could be today. It's called the expectation of the imminent return of Christ. And my grandfather, who was a bootlegger and a gunfighter and a bad guy, got saved, became a Christian, eventually became a preacher. And he literally lived every day thinking, this might be the day you come back. And he would pray in the morning, Lord, if this is the day you come back, I'm, I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready for it. The interesting thing about the conversation I've been having is not just that they would say, well, I don't know, I think maybe... I mean, we look at the world we live in. I'm sure everybody's ever gone through a rough time thought, maybe this time Jesus is going to come back. And yet there is this sense in which there will be this moral decline in the world and evil will seem more and more prevalent before Christ comes back. And those who remain true to Christ will be caught up with him. Here's the part that surprised me about this. Just the, 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 the conversations came up and the subject happened. It was interesting. But here was the part that's most interesting. It's usually followed by, and I think I'm about ready. I think I'm ready. It's kind of, and in that statement, there's a little bit of loss of hope for the world in which we live. Not loss of faith in Jesus, but loss of hope in humanity and what is happening around them, what they're seeing. See, we are to live every day remembering that he came, realizing that he comes for us every day to work in our lives, to draw us near him, and that one day he will come again it's an important part of understanding this idea of kingship. Everything belongs to him. Everything belongs to him. You can, you can take something from someone and use it for a while, but in the end, if it still belongs to them and they have the power to retrieve it, they will take it back. And we live in a world right now that seems like it belongs to evil in many ways. And yet it ultimately belongs to him. And he is coming back. And we need to remember that and live accordingly. So, there's some things we need to notice about, about what he, the statement he was making. One is he comes in on a donkey. He didn't come in on a war horse. He didn't come in to overthrow the Romans in that sense. He came on a donkey, which is, which is humble. It's kind of a servant's kind of transportation. And, and he, but he, while he came in humbly, he didn't come in modestly. Here's what's interesting about Jesus. If you read about Jesus... 
There's lots of people could say all kinds of, oh, he was a good teacher, oh, he was a good rabbi. He was good. Here's what Jesus said he was. And here was the statement he was making that day. The average person, so there are all kinds of people there. There are people, it says in the passage, we just read, there are people that came out from Jerusalem because they heard he was coming. He'd done some incredible miracles uh, on the Mount of Olives and just on the other side. And he'd done some miracles, so there are people coming out from Jerusalem to see him. There are people coming with him from Galilee uh, down. So there are these crowds and they're, they're there. And we don't know who was there for what. Some were there just because it was exciting. You know, oh, it's something exciting, let's go. Some were there because they believed he was the Messiah and he was going to overthrow the Romans. There were some there who understood what he's saying and they started plotting to kill him because when he showed up on a donkey, yes, it was humble, but it was a fulfillment of an Old Testament, Zechariah 9.9, of an Old Testament prophecy that said the Messiah would come on a donkey. And so the people who are kind of less, less educated in religion, probably, oh, this is so cool, it's great. They're, the religious leaders knew exactly what he was saying because here's what he was doing. He was bringing this thing to a head. If you remember in, early in his ministry, he would do a healing and he'd say, no, no go, don't tell anybody. He would do a work in somebody's life and say, no, don't tell anybody because he knew God's time wasn't yet. But on, uh, on Palm Sunday in Triumph Flutter, it was God's time. And he was pushing this thing to the head. And he had always come hard against the religious leaders because they were the power elites of the day in Jerusalem. And they were controlling things. And they would do anything to maintain their power and their position. Sounds familiar. No? Doesn't sound familiar? Have you watched the news? Okay, I'm just saying. Things don't change. So he comes into Jerusalem and he, is, and, if it, and, and he comes in in a symbolic way to fulfill the Old Testament and to poke the religious leaders in the chest going, what are you going to do with me? What are you going to do with me? And he's poking. He's like, and if it's not enough, by the way, he goes to the temple and he cleanses the temple. That's where they're making all their money. And he goes right at the heart of their, their economic endeavors. He goes right at it. Because you're not about the kingdom. You're not about God. You're about your own power and position and wealth. And he just, he just goes after him. He knew what was going to happen. He knew the outcome. And he went anyway because that's how he was going to save the world. So he went in looking very humble but not modest. He was claiming to be God incarnate. He was claiming to be the Messiah. I think it's Keller who says it this way. He says he came marching in and he confronted. It was confrontational. You're going to do something with me now. You're gonna, and it, they did. They killed him. And they thought they won. But Sunday, Sunday tells a different story. That's what we're going to talk about this week. But the reality, he was, he was bringing it to a head. He was pushing him. See, because with Jesus, I'm really glad Jesus didn't have social media back in the day. Because I don't think he would have cared much for likes. Because Jesus didn't intend to be one of those people you could like. You either love or you hate. You either crown or you kill. You're either with or you're against. That's what Palm Sunday was about. It was about drawing the lines. This is who I am. What are you going to do with me? What are you going to do with me? Because I'm on a mission, and it's not to overthrow the Romans. It's to overthrow evil for eternity, and it starts right here, and it's right now, and it's a redemptive mission, and you're going to have to decide if you're with me or you're against me. He says, I'm a king. That's what it was for. That's what it was for right there. That's why he went marching, and that's why it was so public. 
He no longer said, don't, he didn't say, just, just before this in verse 20, he said in chapter 20, and two guys blind guys, Lord, son of David, Lord, son of David, all messianic references and all the religious leaders said, oh, tell him to be quiet, that's inappropriate. And he didn't, he just said, what can I do for you? He recognized that they were telling the truth and he wasn't keeping it secret. He was pushing this thing because whenever good and evil meet there's no, there's no kind of meshing together and making some new kind of gravy or something. There is a clash. Good and evil do not mix. There was no way they were going to find a compromise with religious leaders, religious leaders because they were filled with their own selfish ambition and their own power and their own thing. And God will not compromise with those kinds of people. He will confront them. And he will confront us. As a matter of fact, the kingdom, he came on a donkey, which is a symbol of peace. He came in peace, but he knew there'd be no peace because evil has to be defeated. He came to defeat evil. He came to defeat evil in that day and in our day, in them and in us. See, there is an element of violence here. It was done by the evil. But there's a, there's a, 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 a teaching in Scripture that says when the flesh, our evil desires within us, we have evil desires. One of mine centers around ice cream. You know, it, I think it's going to fix everything. It hasn't fixed much. <laughs> the Bible says that when your fleshly desires come in, in confrontation with God's intention for your life, there has to be violence, meaning that I need to put to death. I need to not try to compromise God's kingdom. So, all right, so let's go back to this. There was a time in my life where I lived in Doyle's kingdom, the kingdom of Doyle. And the kingdom of Doyle was ruled by, well, Doyle. But mostly by Doyle's desires and fears and urges and in the end, the only thing I can remember about Kingdom of Doyle was how incredibly self-destructive and selfish and hurtful it was to me and everybody else. But then one day the king marched into my city and he says, the Kingdom of Doyle is no good. I have a new kingdom for you. The kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, let me, let me, just, let me just give you some passages here. He says, he says this. Jesus, Matthew 4, 17. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. By the way, come near means he's standing right in front of you. That's what he was saying. He says, repent. Turn away from the kingdom of you, which in itself is just driven by urges and desires, false narratives, misunderstandings, and, and a lack of wisdom. And turn to the kingdom of God. That's what he was announcing on that day. The kingdom of God is here now. Turn away from your own kingdom. In John 3, 3, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. He says, when you come out of the kingdom of you and you come into my kingdom, it's as if you're starting fresh. You are spiritually alive for the first time. Everything becomes new in you. And when you come to the kingdom of God, you not only leave behind the kingdom of you, you choose to let him rule. That's why kingship is hard. We like savior, savior. We all kind of sense we need some forgiveness. And we like healer because, you know, we all have messed stuff. And, and we, like, we like teacher because we need to learn some stuff. But king, that's, that's really hard because I want to be the king of my castle and my kingdom. But the problem is I'm the lousy ruler. 
I'm not good at it. I don't have the wisdom or the willpower or the power in general to make happen what needs to happen. And when I join his kingdom, I say, I submit to your rule. See, the king thing, we're not cool with the king thing because, you know, we live in a democracy and everybody gets to vote. You know what happens in the king's kingdom? You don't vote on anything. You don't even get to question because when you have the perfect king who knows you better than anybody else and has better intentions for you than anybody else and has the power to make you and your life and your eternity everything you want it to be, you don't need to argue with the king. You accept his kingship and you submit and you bow and you say, as it is in heaven. That's what it looks like. Well, every once in a while, I want to go visit the, I want to go visit the kingdom of Doyle on freeways mostly. <laughs> when, when you people are driving so badly. But it, it, it doesn't work. I want to submit to the king because he knows. We need to submit to his rule. Here's what it says in Matthew 6, 33. Seek first, king of, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. It says the same thing in Luke 12, but then it adds this. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. It's not like you just stop doing that. Don't do that stuff anymore even though that would be good advice. It's no, join the kingdom over here and I will give you all that you were looking for over there in all the wrong ways. He was announcing himself as king and people had to decide if they wanted to be under his rulership or not. We need to not only realize that, but we need to live daily as if we're citizens of another kingdom. Here's what it says in Philippians 3, for us. I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross. He's saying, not only were you in your own kingdom, your kingdom was at odds with my kingdom. You were enemies, your selfishness, your self-destructiveness, your self-everything was at odds with the kingship that I want to exercise in your life, that is for your good and for the kingdom good. And it goes on and said, their destiny is, is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And I hate that line. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. It means daily I wake up and I seek first the kingdom. In my decision-making, what is right for the kingdom, not what do my urges tell me. In my finances, not what the world around me tells me to do with my finances. What is the first putting kingdom first thing to do here in my relationships. How would God have me handle this? How should I operate? How should I behave in his kingdom no matter what I feel like doing if I were in my own kingdom? This is putting the kingdom first, making him king over my life. Where is your citizenship today? Are you living a kingdom life? Are you all in? I think the thing I've become most aware of recently, it's probably because I'm just getting old. Could be social media, media in general. I feel like there's a storm brewing around us. I feel like there's a storm. We saw some terrible things this week that happened in the Midwest, several different things. One of them is tornadoes. I grew up in tornado country. My wife grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which is like Tornado Alley. They have one they like every other day. And in Tulsa, where I grew up, we had basements, and so we would hide in the basement. But Tulsa didn't have a lot of basements. And so a lot of people there, including her parents for many years, 
have a storm cellar and her grandparents out on the farm and a storm cellar. Storm cellar is, is, is like a little mini basement. The stairs go down and it's usually cement block and it's buried under the ground and there's earth over the top and so on. And when there's a tornado coming, you, you run down there and you hide. And it's where you keep your canned goods like they did out in the farm and stuff. And so you hide in there until it's And you can hear tornadoes and they go by and then you're, you come up. And I've been through several tornadoes. And uh, I, I watched a video this week and there was this guy and it was someone inside the storm cellar shooting, uh, uh, videoing uh, another person who was just, and so the doors kind of, they're kind of like at an angle like this. And so you open them up and you come in and you close them behind you and hopefully the storm goes over. He's sitting on the stairs just inside the door waiting for the tornado to go. And the next thing you know, it all breaks loose. The stores, the, 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 the doors to the storm cellar get ripped off. There's stuff flying. There's debris. There's shrapnel. This guy's diving off the steps trying to get deeper in the storm cellar. I was thinking about the world we live in. In his kingdom, there can be storms everywhere. But I'm at peace because a part of who he came to be is to be the prince of peace. And when the world is crashing and is going crazy, I'm at peace because I'm a citizen of his kingdom. See, I'm going to suggest this. I don't know if it's true or not, but think about it with me. So Israel decided that God wasn't a good enough ruler for them at one point, so they asked for a king. God gave them a king and it began cycles of apostasy where they fell away from God, forgot God, and then they, they get themselves in a mess and they come running back to God and then this is over and over again. The people of Israel wanted their own human king because God wasn't good enough. Is it possible that like the people of Israel, we all have been aspiring and hoping to the kind of earthly kingdom that could fill all of our needs, putting our hopes in government, putting our hopes in rulers that, for things that only God can fill? Do you think there's a false hope right now that our government can fix things? If there's any hope at all, it's false. Because the government can't fix things that only God can fix. And what we need to do is realize that we are citizens of his kingdom and as a storm rages around us, we're okay. We have the Prince of Peace like the disciples last week in the boat who Jesus saved them from the storm where is your faith? Because they hadn't fully put their citizenship in his kingdom yet. Jesus came to say, no, there's another kingdom and you're going to have to choose which you're going to live in. And by the way, let me just mention parenthetically, trying to live in his kingdom and your own kingdom is going to get you hurt. Eventually it's going to hurt. Eventually some shrapnel is going to hit you. Eventually a storm's going to grab you. Get in his kingdom and get all the way in his kingdom. There's no halfway in. Another thing I think that we need to notice is that we're not really citizens of this kingdom. Yes, we're Americans. We love our country. Hope we do. But the reality is, is that this isn't our home. We're just passing through. We're on our way to be home with Jesus forever. And as such, I don't need to get quite so caught up in what's happening in this earthly kingdom because my destiny is not determined by what happens with our government 
or the people in it or whether I believe they're doing right or wrong. The reality is, while I love the people here and I love this nation, I am a foreigner on my way home. And while I'm here, I'm gonna look around and look and say, you know, I think these people are in trouble. Maybe I can help. But my eternity doesn't depend on this because I'm a citizen of a different kingdom. And then the last thing I'll say is that we need to realize that there is incredible benefit to his kingdom, to making him king in charge of our life. If you remember his birth when he came as a baby, there were some wonderful things announced. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you and he is the Messiah, the Lord, the King. Under his rulership, we find peace. Um, Maybe, maybe, maybe the storm cellar isn't a good picture for you. I had two pictures I thought about when I thought about being in his kingdom. Let me describe the other one for you now. Because I don't think that being in his kingdom is just to avoid the pain of the storm brewing around us. Because we're not in denial about it. We're going to experience the consequences of lots of things. But I'm going to be at peace in the midst of it. But there's another picture. And the other picture is, is, is of a gate I'm thinking of a gate. It's green. It's actually on a ranch a friend of mine owns up in Northern California. And I spent a lot of time with They're very gracious to let me hang out on their ranch. And, and uh, on this ranch, um, you drive to, off the main road onto the gate. And it's a very kind of nondescript gate. It's just a metal green one. And if you have the code, you can punch it in and the gate will open for you. That'll preach right there. I'll do a whole sermon on that one day. And as you punch in the code, you come inside the gate and what you see in front of you is this long driveway that kind of disappears over the end. Now, here's what's interesting about this. If you just pulled inside the gate, you would go, wow, this is beautiful. Because almost always inside the gate, there's, there's some deer here. Sometimes there's some turkeys over here. Every once in a while, I see a bobcat run by. It's beautiful. It's, and there's trees everywhere. And it's just gorgeous. And just inside the gate is beautiful. But it would be really silly to just stop right inside the gate. Because if you drive down this driveway, it's almost a half mile long. And as you go down, all of a sudden you take a little turn and you start going downhill and you see the most beautiful pond, which this time of year is just overflowing into a creek running out from it. It's just beautiful. And it's green surrounded and sometimes there's some geese on it or ducks on it, always turtles there. And you turn that corner and you see that beautiful pond. You say, wow, I'm glad I didn't stay at the gate because this is amazing. And then you turn this hairpin turn coming down this pretty steep hill and you turn back and you see in front of you this beautiful valley with trees coming down this side, a, a, a creek running down this side, trees over on this side. And you see a beautiful barn and a house and you start driving toward that. All of which you would have missed if you just got inside the gate. I believe that coming to be a part of his kingdom opens the opportunity for God to do amazing things in your life. Love, joy, peace, impact, calling, relational healing. But some of us, some of us don't want to go in the gate because it's kind of small. Matter of fact, that's why Jesus wept over, uh, wept over Jerusalem because he knew there were people in Jerusalem who wouldn't go through the gate because it's narrow. Some of us who have chosen to believe in Jesus, we just get inside the gate just enough. Got my fire escape ticket, I'm good. But you're missing the pond. 
You're missing the barn. You're missing the trees. You're missing the creek. You're missing, the, you're missing everything God has for you. See, the point of the triumphal entry isn't just, the triumphal entry is not just to get on Jesus' side, but to get all the way on Jesus' side, to give him access to every part of who you are, to your finances, to your sexuality, to your decision-making, to everything, because he has a better plan for every part of your life than you do. No part of you needs to remind, remain back in kingdom you. He's got a better plan. The disciples realized what all had happened later and went, we're all in. To the point they went to death. It doesn't sound like a better plan. And yet, they're forever in heaven, having done what God called them to do. And there is nothing greater than being and doing what God created you to do. As we enter this holy week, as you picture Jesus coming down the Mount of Olives and across the valley up into the gate to the temple, are you with him? Are you with him all the way, no matter what comes? No matter how confusing it may be at times, pretty confusing for the disciples. Where else would you be? What else is there? What else? There is nothing else. There's his way. It's the only way. It's a narrow way, but it's the way. My prayer is that we are with Jesus all the way. Lord, we love you. We thank you for coming. Lord, I'll only speak for myself. I am, I am completely unworthy. I am unworthy of the love that you've shown me, the compassion and grace you've extended to me. I am unworthy of being called to anything in your kingdom, much less just being a part of it. And yet, Lord God, you have graciously, courageously, tenaciously crossed that valley, hung on that cross, resurrected from the grave, and you are my king. Help me to be a better citizen of your kingdom. Help me to be more aware of your work in my life. Help me to be more cooperative when your Holy Spirit leads me and guides me. Lord, for us as a congregation, my sense is that in the days to come, we will need to firmly plant our feet in your kingdom, fully dependent upon your power, fully aligned with your goals and your intention and your redemptive agenda for the world in which we live. Lord, help us to either for the first time or to once again choose to be with you, to love you, to crown you king of our lives and to quit fighting for our own kingdom. Lord, in that is found the peace, the love, the joy, the fulfillment we've been looking for. Help us to recommit ourselves to that in this holy week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys for being here. Please come on Friday as we celebrate what Christ did for us and again on Sunday for Easter. God bless. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, we have live services on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings in our West Auditorium. Or you can watch live online at scgchurch.org or on our YouTube and Facebook.